Great. As uh, you will have gathered, um, we're back in Acts. Uh, and Acts is a great place to be, especially Acts 2 this Easter Sunday. Because what we get to see in Acts 2 is we get to see um, Peter talking about um, the first Easter Sunday. We get to see Peter talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and I'm really excited to be there. So if you've got a Bible, have it open. We're going to be uh, looking through Acts 2 uh, down to verse uh, 41. So that's where we're going to be uh, this week. I want to I start off by uh, telling you um, a little bit um, about uh, a guy called Michael. Now, um, you will, some of you will, will know the story of this person, although you probably won't know him by, by that name. He was born in 1929 um, in uh, Atlanta, in Georgia. He was the son of a minister. He grew up, uh, because he was born there, he grew up in the, in the kind of deep south of the United States during a time where um, racial segregation and um, racism was just part of the system. Um, it wasn't uh, something that was kind of uh, just a byproduct. It was entrenched in law. Uh, and so he grew up at a time where uh, he was black and he wasn't uh, allowed to go to the same school as the white children around him. He wasn't allowed to go to the same shops uh, as them. Um, uh, he wasn't even allowed to sit in the same areas of, of buses uh, as they were. That was the air he breathed. It was just the world he lived in. That was, that was how it worked. Uh, and during his, uh, his childhood, his, his father, who was uh, a minister, he went to Germany. And he became inspired by the leader of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther. And so he changed both his name and his son's name to, to Martin Luther, which is how you will know him uh, uh, more readily, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Now, now, having grown up surrounded by racial uh, segregation, by discrimination, then Martin Luther King rose to fame in the 1950s um, when primarily kind of springboarded by a moment when um, a black lady called Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white passenger on a, on a bus in the States. And um, in response to that, Martin Luther King led and was at the forefront of something called the Montgomery bus boycott. So basically, they just said, we're just not going to travel on these buses anymore. And this lasted for over a year. So the boycott of buses in Montgomery lasted for um, over a year. And at the end of that, um, they had effectively ended segregation on buses in, in Montgomery. It was no longer a thing. But throughout that year, Martin Luther King experienced incredible difficulties. His house was bombed. He was arrested. Uh, and yet he kept on through that, championing the cause of African-Americans in Montgomery, uh, but also more widely across, across America. Uh, and that was just the beginning for him. Over the next decade, Martin Luther King would be at the forefront of a campaign of what was called uh, civil disobedience, nonviolent civil disobedience. It was basically just saying we're not going to obey the laws around racial segregation. So that would look like uh, groups of African-Americans going into places that were reserved for white people and just sitting there and refusing to move non-violently, but just saying we're not going to obey the laws that uh, are enforcing this segregation between, between black and white people in, in the States. He, he also organized a whole host of peaceful demonstrations. One of the most famous was in 1963 in, in Birmingham, a, a very kind of uh, fiercely uh, racist and segregated city. Uh, and there were hordes of people who marched 
um, through Birmingham. Uh, and it became famous because of the brutality that these peaceful demonstrators were subjected to. That you, there were pictures of water cannons and dogs and police being incredibly heavy-handed with some of these children who were, who were on that march. As pictures of that were broadcast across the world, the police commissioner lost his job, public opinion in America began to change. And on the back of that, in, in the same year, he, he organized a march to Washington where he gave his famous, I have a dream speech. He stood up in front of the crowds uh, and gave this incredible speech. Uh, I, I think I'm right in saying that the I have a dream bit wasn't even in his notes. Like that wasn't part of the original script. He just was like, people like, tell him your dream. And he just went for it. Um, and, and that's become this kind of, landmark speech that, that, that people uh, recite and people remember. On the back of that, legislation in the States was changed. 1964, 1965, the Civil Rights Acts were passed uh, and segregation was outlawed across the United States of America. He wasn't finished then. He carried on standing up for the rights of the poor, of the oppressed in his society. But that came at an incredible price. If, you, if you've watched anything about his life or if you've read anything about his life, it's unbelievable the things that he had to put up with during that decade. He was labelled as a radical and as such was under the close scrutiny of the FBI who uh, rang him and threatened him and threatened his family. He was arrested 29 times. He was beaten. The lives of his wives and children were threatened. Uh, and, then, and then in 1968, having delivered another one of his great speeches in Memphis, he was shot and killed on the balcony of his hotel, dying at the age of only 39. I was so tempted to show his speech from Memphis. It, I get goosebumps every time I watch it. it it's just incredible. Now, now, I wanted to start there because Martin Luther King is, one of a, is a hero of mine and I never miss an opportunity to talk about him. I love talking about him. I could talk about him many times. And if you've been around Grace Church for a bit, you'll have heard me talk about him before. And if you're going to hang around, you're going to hear me talk about him again. Uh, he, he's, he's, one of, he's one of my great heroes. I also find him an incredibly inspirational figure. As I look at the way he lived, there's so much that I admire in him. There's so much in him that I aspire to be, that I think I'd love to be like that. And in lots of ways, there's lots of things about him that remind me a bit of Jesus. The way that he was opposed by the establishment of his day, just like Jesus was. The way that he stood up for the marginalized and oppressed of society. The way that his words had incredible power. Like, it, it, it was as he spoke that things changed. And the way that he used that voice for people in society who didn't have a voice. The way he suffered threats and beatings and wrongful arrests and yet continued to do what he knew was right. The way he ultimately gave his life to further the cause of those who seemed so powerless at the time. There's lots about him that, that reminds me of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you have a hero. I, I don't know if you do. I don't know if you have someone who I'm talking about them. You think, oh, yeah, this is the person who, for me, that I just look back on. And I just find so inspirational, such a great example. But as we look at Acts 2, we need to remember that the Jewish people, they did have a hero. They actually had a number of heroes. Um, Abraham would have been one of their great heroes. But one of their greatest heroes was David. 
If you've been around uh, Grace Church over the past few months, we've been looking at something of the life of David. And it's easy to see why he was one of their heroes. He was the second king of Israel. And he really established the golden age of Israel. That's what David did. Israel had a very short golden age. It was basically the reigns of David and Solomon. That was the golden age of Israel. And it was David who created that. He expanded their borders so they were actually able to take possession of the land that God had given them. It was David who defeated their enemies and brought security to Israel. It was David who established the greatest period of prosperity in Israel's history. But, but more than that, it wasn't just that he was like really successful and did good things for Israel. His story is inspirational. If you look at his story, it's an incredible story. He grew up as the youngest in a large family, generally considered not very important. He, he kind of rose to fame um, overnight by killing uh, a giant, Goliath. I mean, when you've killed a giant, that's like a pretty impressive story. Not many of us have that on our CV. Um, like, like he kills a giant and shoots to fame. But, but following that, it's not like, okay, just success story after success story. No, the story continues. He's hunted down by the king who's jealous of him, worried that he's going to take his position. He spends years in hiding. At times, he has to hide among his enemies. Uh, he, at times, he has to pretend he's mad just to save his life. And despite all of that, he's able to show incredible patience, humility, as he, as he twice saves the life of the king who's trying to kill him. More than that, David is one of the great religious leaders of the Israelites. He was someone who's described as having the same kind of heart as God himself. He follows God all his life. He writes incredible songs to God. David was the kind of, Israel, Israel, kind of leader Israel longed for. He was an inspirational figure and he knew God. And again, there are many similarities between David and Jesus. David was opposed by the rulers of the time. So was Jesus. David spent large amount of time without a home, just like Jesus did. David was described as a man with a heart like God's and Jesus describes his own will and heart as like God's. David and Jesus are both accused of being mad. David and Jesus both had a remarkable personal relationship with God. David ushered in a new prosperous kingdom and Jesus promises to do the same. History, and probably the present, although I'm not as good at seeing that, is full of people like Martin Luther King and like David, people who do and did remarkable things. People who we admire, people who inspire us. And so now it's Easter Sunday and we're going, to look at, we're going to look at one of those figures. We're going to look at the person of Jesus. Now, whatever you believe about Jesus tonight, there can be little argument that few, if any people, have inspired people quite as much as Jesus has. There are a few people, that pe there are a few people like Jesus who people look back on and, go, and have had their lives changed by just looking at how they live. There aren't many people who've been as remarkable as Jesus. And so this evening, I just want us to look at what is it about him that makes him so remarkable? What is it about him that has made him last so long in the minds of history? And, and this week, we're not going to learn that by looking, hearing from someone who studied him. You know, I know a little bit about Martin Luther King because I studied him. That's it. But we're not going to learn from someone who studied him. No, not from someone who, who has admired him from afar, but from one of his closest friends. 
This week we're going to hear what one of the people who was with Jesus throughout his public ministry, from the time he was baptised by John to the time he rose again and ascended into heaven. Look with me at verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Let's see how Peter, one of Jesus' great friends, talks about him. This is what Peter says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. According to Peter, the story goes a little bit like this. There was a man called Jesus. He came from a place called Nazareth. Throughout his life, he performed many miracles, wonders and signs. He healed the sick. He made blind people see. He, he spoke and storm stopped. He fed thousands of people. He even brought people who were dead back to life. Peter doesn't go into the details here, but he also tells us why he doesn't go into the details here. He says, because his listeners already knew. They already knew all that. They knew about the signs and wonders that he'd done. How was Jesus rewarded for these acts of kindness, for these miraculous uh, signs that he performed among them? He was handed over to the authorities who put him to death by nailing him to a cross. And all of that was apparently, according to Peter, according to God's plan. And because of that, the story doesn't end there. This Jesus was so powerful that it was impossible for death to hold him. And so God raised him from the dead. That's the story of Jesus, which Peter thinks his listeners, some of which he thinks they already know, and which he thinks they need to hear. As you see the way that Jesus is gentle with those who are hurting, as you see him extending a welcome to those people in society who no one else had any time for, to, to prostitutes and tax collectors and the people that, that, that were hated within that society. It's hard not to admire him. As you look at his life, it's hard not to look at that life and think, wasn't he an incredible person? As you see the way he was willing to suffer without striking back, as he is subject to incredible injustice, as you look at that, just the more remarkable Jesus appears. I look at the little injustices in my life and I look at how wild I get by them, how long I can be angry about the smallest injustice. And yet Jesus silently endures that. As you see the way he's willing to suffer without, without striking back, no wonder he's inspired so many. No wonder he has changed the world so extensively. So you look at his life and he's a remarkable figure. Of course he's had an impact. Of course people look at his life and think, I'd love to be like that. But, but Peter continues. This is what he goes on to say. David 
said about him. Now, just, just pause there. The David that Peter's talking about here is the David that I was just telling you about, this, this hero of the Jewish faith, faith who lived a thousand, over a thousand years before, before Jesus. David apparently said some stuff about this Jesus. So one of the heroes of the Jewish faith has spoken about Jesus. What did he say? Let's go on and read. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, their great hero, remember, the great hero of the Jewish people, the patriarch David, what happened to him? He died and he was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was, what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Why is David being brought into this discussion? Why is Peter telling them about what David says? This is, why is he bringing in this Jewish hero? the one who made Israel the people they were meant to be, the one who freed them from their enemies, the one who brought prosperity to the nation, the one who pointed them to God's. Why is David being brought in here? Well, because this David spoke about someone who'd be different to him. He spoke about a king whom God would not abandon to death. You see, David was remarkable. He was a hero to many. He changed the world. He inspired many. But here's the thing about David. He died and he was buried and his body decayed. That's what happened. David had a remarkable life, an inspiring life. But then he died and that was the end of that. Martin Luther King had a remarkable life, an inspiring life. But then he died and that was the end of that. That is Peter's central point here. David may have been a great person, but just like every other person, he died and was buried. And that was the end of his life and the end of his work. Why does Peter want us to understand that? Why labor such an obvious point? Well, it's surely because he wants us to see that Jesus is not actually just another hero among many. He's not another inspiring historical figure. He's not just another person to admire and remember. Now, Jesus is an entirely different category to all of the heroes. And he's an entirely different category because it was impossible for death to hold him. Because although he too died, and although he was buried in a tomb, that tomb is no longer there. He was not abandoned to death. His body did not see decay. 
David died and his body decayed. Martin Luther King died and his body decayed. Gandhi died and his body decayed. Muhammad died and his body decayed. Captain Tom died and his body will decay. They may be great people. They may be inspiring people, but they are not like Jesus. That's Peter's point. The greatest among you, the people who you look back on and say they were the best of us, they were not like Jesus. Because Jesus is not a hero. Now, Peter says Jesus is something very different. Look at, look at the end of the section we just read. He says, Jesus is both Messiah and Lord. Messiah. He's the promised king who would come and rescue God's people and bring about the world as it should be, God's kingdom. He's Messiah. And he's Lord, the person who sits in authority. You see that in his death and resurrection. You see the authority of Jesus. He sits in authority above all things. He is Lord because even death cannot hold him. Jesus is not a hero. He's Messiah and Lord. And there is only one Messiah and Lord. The question is, what do you do with a Messiah and Lord? Like, I know what I do with a hero. I kind of get how you deal with a hero. A hero you remember. A hero you give thanks for. A hero you study. A hero you allow to inspire you. But what do you do with the Messiah? What do you do with the Lord? Well, that's the question that people ask. They ask Peter this question and Peter answers it. Look at verse 37 with me. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What's the correct response to Messiah and Lord? To not be inspired. It's repent and be baptized. That's what Peter says. Completely different to a hero. A hero you might admire, you might study, you might learn from, you might praise. But the appropriate response to a hero is never repentance. It's not being baptized as a sign of new life and, and coming into a community they've built. Peter is clear here. Jesus died. And he was raised for a reason. Jesus' death and resurrection was for, Peter says, the forgiveness of your sins and to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try and land this here. I'm going to try and land it where I think Peter's trying to land it. I think what Peter's trying to get his listeners to understand, what he's... What, we are called to understand here is that Jesus is not another inspirational figure from history. He's different in one fundamental way. He did not stay dead. Unlike every other figure in history, death could not hold him. And because of this, Jesus can do so more than inspire and excite. David may have been an example even something for the Jewish people to aspire to. But David did not die for their sins. 
He could not offer them forgiveness. He could not defeat death. He could not give them the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther King might inspire me. He might encourage me to be gentle, peaceful, to care for the marginalized, but he did not die for my sins. He cannot offer me forgiveness. He did not defeat death. He cannot give me the Holy Spirit. I don't know who it is for you. Your, your husband or wife might be a great person. They might bring you joy. They might comfort you when you are hurting. They might build you up and love you selflessly, but they will not die for your sins. They will not bring about your forgiveness. They will not defeat death. They will not give you the Holy Spirit. I could go further. You could go beyond people. Your, your intellect. Your intellect may be astronomical. You might be the smartest person in every room. You might be able to solve problems that no one else can solve and that people can't even dream of being able to sort out. But your intellect will not die for your sins. It will not forgive you. It will not defeat death. It will not give you the Holy Spirit. Your money might be useful. It might bring you some security. It might bring you some happiness. It might bring you some status and some sense of worth. But your money will not die for you. It will not forgive you. It will not be able to stand in the face of death. And it will not give you the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so sad when our eyes get turned, which they so easily do. It's why it's so disastrous when we fail to rely on Jesus and we go running out after something else. We go running after money or career or some other relationship. It's, the reason that's so sad is not because it's kind of like, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. But that's not why it's sad. It's sad because it's always a downgrade. You're always shortchanging yourself. You're always exchanging the one person in history who died for your sins, who defeated death, and who can give you the Holy Spirit. You're always exchanging that for something that can't do those things. That's always the trade you're making. Jesus is unique. That's what Peter wants his listeners to understand here. David was great, but Jesus is something entirely different because he is the only one who can bring the forgiveness we all know we need. We all know our brokenness. In our most lucid moments, we see it. We know the darkness inside of us. We know that we hurt others. We know that we're quick to ignore the God who made us. And because of that, we all have this deep sense, this need of forgiveness. We all know the horrors of death. We know how it lurks over all that we do, how it haunts us, how we suffer daily under its power. Jesus is God's answer to that. Jesus is the moment God said, enough is enough. And he came himself to suffer at the hands of wicked people like us, to die in our place, to suffer the consequences our sin deserve, and to once and for all defeat death as he rose again. And then to offer to share that life with us, to share in the forgiveness he offers, to share in the spirit that he has and the resurrection that he has now won. That is why Easter is worth celebrating. That's why there's no event quite like this, no news quite as good as that that we're celebrating today.
I want to I want to give us some time to respond now. I'm going to put a, a couple of songs up. Um, feel free to, as part of your response, sing along to those, but also feel free to just sit in quiet and listen to some of those words. These are songs that help us to reflect on our need of Jesus, as well as all that he has achieved and the great victory he's won for us. The, 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 the first song starts with the lyrics, uh, let no one caught in sin remain. Uh, and I just want to encourage us at that point. If you're somebody here who is feeling racked with guilt, who is feeling that brokenness, that song encourages us not to stay there. Hear Peter's words here. The response there is not to be racked by guilt. It's not to feel super bad about ourselves. Peter tells us what the response is. It's to repent and to be baptized. So let me encourage you during these songs, if there are things you need to repent of, take the time during these songs to repent of those things. Turn away from them, say sorry to God, and experience the forgiveness that Jesus won at the cross for you. So take some time during these songs to repent of those things. And if you are someone who has repented of those things, but hasn't been baptized, then why not just drop in the chat to, to me um, or someone else you know in the church and just say, hey, I'd like to be baptized. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do. Repent and be baptized. Because that's the right response to a Jesus who is Messiah and Lord, not simply a hero.